Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode seven of the Bits and Barbells podcast. My name is Backsate, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Ben. And today we are going to be talking about what we wish we knew in college. We recently graduated both from Georgia Tech last year in 2022, and we know that the college school year is actually coming up. And so whether you've just started or you're about to start as a freshman or coming back to one of your later years, this is sort of the context that we have as someone who's graduated and the stuff that we thought would have benefited us if we knew it while we were in college. I want to make one caveat, which is this isn't going to be necessarily how to succeed within college. We're going to be talking about a lot of concepts here that extend beyond college. If you're curious on how to actually succeed in college, go check out episode two because we have a whole episode dedicated to that. Um, But yeah, we have the seven things that we wish we knew in college. Um, So without further ado, we're going to get into uh, number one. Ben, do you want to lead us off? Yeah, but first I want to kind of preface this episode by saying after you graduate, you kind of get the chance to look back and contextualize a lot of the lessons that you've learned while you're in college. And for me, at least, that summer after you graduate and before you start working full time, you have a lot of you you just have a lot of time to sit and reflect on your circumstances and the things that went on because you don't really have much else going on. So it's a really good time for reflection and just, yeah, drawing lessons from your life. Um, so the first the first lesson that we wish we knew in college is it's okay to be alone. Uh, I know for me, when I showed up freshman year, we talked about this before, how that first week show up freshman year is absolutely chaos. Everybody's trying to meet each other and, you know, people are just literally walking up to strangers on the street, right? In, in between classes or even in classes or even at the dining hall, just sitting at random tables. It's a massive hodgepodge of social connection, really. People are just trying to find their people, right? As fast as possible. But it takes time to find your people, right? And that first group that you maybe connect with or maybe even the second group that you connect with may not be the ultimate end connection that you're looking for. Uh, and so I would encourage a lot of you you guys out there who are going to college, maybe in-state, or you just have a lot of friends from high school going to your same college, to kind of branch out a little bit. And I know that can seem kind of scary because you're in this new environment. So the first straw you kind of have to grasp on is what you're familiar with, which is your friends and your bedrock from from your past, right? It's very comfortable to be around them. But college is a time to be uncomfortable and and meet the people that you're going to be friends with for a very long period of time, like maybe even for the rest of your life. I know my parents, they have friends from college who they they still talk to today. And and likewise, for me, I have friends from college, like me, Carter, who I talk to today, but it takes time. It takes time. You can hop in there. Yeah, for sure. I think that... uh the analogy with your high school friends is great because the way I see it, it's like with every other quote unquote chapter of your life, if you want to call it that, is you start with a wide funnel. So in high school, you probably had a lot of friends. And even if you didn't, you probably had a couple really close friends. Um, And if you didn't, then here's a chance to make some really close friends in college, right? Uh, But let's say that there was a ton of people you were kind of acquaintance with in high school. Now you're going to college, provided that you go to a place and you actually are willing to meet new people, you'll remain in touch with probably a very small percentage of those people from high school. And those really, really close friends are the ones who you will become friends or you will stay friends with, excuse me, for decades to come, right? The same principle applies to college. You might start with a very wide funnel, which is what we talk about in episode two about that first week. You really have to get uncomfortable, meet a lot of people and narrow down that funnel. Why it's so important in college is because after college, it becomes exponentially more difficult, right? And so to make a really, really close friend after college is 
something that's non-trivial on how to do. And so uh, to sort of just stay in your little comfort zone of either the people you knew um, or even just deciding, eh, I'll be like kind of friends with a lot of people, right? I'll say that like having a hundred acquaintances who know you by name, but you don't actually build any rapport with is somewhat useless because then you graduate and then you might move to a new city and all of a sudden you feel like you know no one. You have no one to talk to um, besides maybe your parents. And that's a really, really isolating feeling. Um, and so we kind of say that like, you really need like one really good friend. If you have one really good friend, then you are able to, uh, have someone to confide things in that cause we're social beings, right? You, you need somebody to, and it won't always be your parents and hopefully it's not always your parents. So finding that one person in college is very important and you're not going to do it on the first person you meet most likely. So that's why I talk about what, like narrowing down that funnel. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny because a, a good friend of mine, he actually met his girlfriend who he's still in a relationship with today. Like that, like first week of freshman year, I think they, they sat together in the same class or something, but the probability of that is very low, right? I, I don't want to say that's like a, a law or a rule or anything. That's definitely an exception. Um, but even touching on what you said about having a hundred acquaintances is worse or it's better to have one good friend than a hundred acquaintances. You can feel extremely lonely, even while in college, having hundred people that you, you know, you're like, yo, what's up, bro? You know, whatever, but you can't actually talk to them about real things. So that's a very lonely kind of experience. Um, which is which is interesting. Yeah, uh, we titled this one "It's Okay to Be Alone," which we just went on and talked about almost not being alone. But we want to also emphasize that learning to be comfortable with being alone is also a very important thing. And you can have that experience in college. And I think uh, kind of what we're suggesting not to do is not to fulfill that void of needing social interaction with just meaningless friendships, right? right. Uh, because you need to, it, once you do graduate and if you do move to a different city, right, there is some points where you're going to have to be alone because when you're in college, you have that sort of built in social network that doesn't exist in the real world. Uh, and depending on what the field you go into, we're both software engineers. I personally am not like great friends with my coworkers, so I don't have it through that. Right. And so, uh, there's a necessary of understanding of yourself of realizing, okay, like, I can be alone and I can feel confident in myself and live my life. And I'm not saying become a loner or like a lone wolf, but there are times in your life where you will be somewhat isolated and uh, being okay with that feeling and uh, using that as a time for growth rather than a time for despair is uh, something that can happen in college. So don't just grapple for any kind of social interaction if it's meaningless and doing stuff just cause. Yeah. When you're spending a lot of time alone, I feel like kind of like the first instinct most people have, right? Because we're social creatures is to be like, you know, oh, no, like I'm alone. I need to reach out and find somebody or else I'm this odd individual. You know, I'm like kind of this anomaly in society. And there were times freshman year during that first couple of weeks where I was, you know, sometimes you ask, you know, those acquaintances that you meet. It's like it's a nightmare to just go to the dining hall alone, right? You don't want to be seen as that guy who's alone, just going to the dining hall, eating by himself in the corner, right? That's you think that's like the perception, right? When you do it, but in reality, it's completely okay to do that. And you might just have a situation arise where you need to eat alone because your class's schedule doesn't sync with those people you know. So it's like you're forced to just be alone in that in that moment in time, and that's okay. You don't need to just grasp for like you said those just people who are just convenient because then you're just kind of using them as conveniences uh, <laughs> i was just thinking of uh what is that kant kant emmanuel kant like kant some like ethics professor or something <laughs> i don't know using people as ends to a mean or something means yeah. to an end means to an end yeah i think that's a great point and that actually leads uh pretty well into number two, um, which is the thing we wish we knew in college is to be authentic with yourself. Um, tying it back to the previous topic, I think that it to fill that void, oftentimes in order to make those connections with people, you will lie to yourself, right? And you will 
try and present someone who you think somebody else would like, whether that's a romantic uh, interest or a friend. Uh, I see this a lot of times. You know, I was in a fraternity and I can't tell you how many times people would put on a persona and it was so obvious, but sometimes it's less obvious and that times it's even more sinister to where they are now this person who they actually are in their free time and then this totally different person who they think everyone will like more and that is an exhausting life to live. It will, it's not sustainable. Um, you will basically have, it'll feel like you're living two lives at once. And I did it honestly, partially uh, freshman year. And, um, basically we're just talking about being, you need to be able to be authentic with yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think we all go through that, right? We all go through this period of, I need to put on this persona to, I need to put on this persona to make a good impression on, like you said, a romantic partner, potential romantic partners, people out there who are just, you know, existing. So they think I'm cool, right? I want to be cool. And like you said, it's such an exhausting existence to live that. I remember when I was doing that, you, you just, it takes so much energy to just exist, right? And it's like, What's going to win in the long run? You expending all this energy to put on this fake persona to where the point you, you're exhausted and you can't even do anything else or just being who you authentically are, which takes zero energy to maintain and then just focusing all of your actual energy on productive things that are going to build a better future for yourself. And, and not to mention too that I think being alone and being authentic to yourself kind of relate to each other because when you're alone, you're, you're forced to grapple with yourself because you're, there's nobody else to kind of fill a void in whatever activity you're doing, right? You might sit down and if, if you're with the boys or you're with some friends of yours, you, there's constant chatter going on and you don't really ever get the time to think and introspect and dive deep into the egoist construct of who you are which takes just being alone, right? You just have to be alone in order to, to kind of engage in those activities. Yeah, I think a good sort of litmus test, if you want to call it that, is to see if you're doing this, because I think a lot of people do this subconsciously, is if you feel like even going out with your, and I'm going to put quotes around this, and I don't mean this in a, a negative way, but your friends, the people who you've presented to yourself who like this version of you, uh, if the if the thought of going and doing whatever activity you guys normally do, um, you would rather not do that and rather stay home and uh, rather do something else, right? Whether, you know, you might like playing video games or whatever, and I'm not saying be a recluse, <laughs> but um, you can... It, it should be enjoyable to do the things you want. And if you find like-minded people who enjoy the same things as you, then you can have that fulfilling experience with other people rather than feeling like it's, this is something I should do. I should go socialize and be with these people. And all of a sudden you think that that's just normal to feel that way. No, right. You should enjoy these things. And so if the thought of going out and doing these things, uh, is, is drawing from your energy, I think that's a good example of, Hey, maybe, the type of people who I've associated myself with aren't necessarily aligned with the things who I or with the things that I actually like to do. Yeah, and we're not saying that there needs to be a one-to-one -one match with what you enjoy doing and what your friends enjoy doing. If they don't enjoy every single activity that you do, then you can't be friends with them. But we're not saying that at all, right? That's why you have multiple friends, ideally, who align with these different aspects of your personality and different activities you enjoy. I have a really concrete example here, which is going on like vacation with friends versus going on a solo trip. So when I graduated, uh, I went on a solo trip to uh, three cities. So I went to Boston, Toronto, New York. And in Boston and New York, I, I was with friends. And well, actually, let me, let me start over a little bit because contextualize this a little bit. So I was going to, initially the idea for this trip was to go to Boston and New York because I have friends who live in Boston and New York and to spend time with them on the weekend. But that created this situation where I had, you know, the Monday through Friday in between where my friends were working because they had already started working at that point. So I needed something to fill that, that void. And I was thinking to myself and I was like, oh, let me just add this third city 
onto this trip, right? You know, Boston, New York, Toronto is kind of forms a triangle. And then I can just kind of spend a little bit of that week by myself and experience what that's like. And this trip was like the first ever solo trip that I had gone on ever. And it was such a refreshing experience just being fully by myself and grappling with who I was and just pursuing the activities that I only enjoyed, right? It was such a refreshing experience. And I encourage all of you guys out there when you get the opportunity to do so to take a solo trip, whether it's just for a weekend, because you're going to learn things about yourself when you're just alone with your, your feelings, your thoughts, and your actions. You're going to learn things about yourself that you don't necessarily get the chance to actually learn when you're going about your day-to-day life or when you're surrounding yourself with friends and family. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great thing that everyone should aspire to, to experience at some point. Um, so as we sort of move away from being authentic oh, to, oh, you have something else? Wait, should I talk about, okay. So yeah, I have another story about being authentic to yourself. Uh, so my freshman year in college, you know, I went to Georgia Tech and I was one of those people in high school who worked extremely hard, right? And I had built a bit of an ego around, you know, my intelligence or whatever, my achievements. And I was a little bit insecure about where I went to school because I felt maybe I deserved to go to, you know, a more prestigious school, quote unquote. Um, but that's, it was, it's not the case at all. And, and so basically I was going up to Dartmouth for a weekend to visit a close friend of mine. And so I had to fly through Boston to get there. Uh, so basically, if you guys don't know, Dartmouth is in, uh, I don't even know, like New Hampshire, I think. So, but basically Dartmouth is in the middle of the woods and it takes three hours by coach bus to get there from the Boston airport. So I flew to the Boston airport and I get on this coach bus to go to Dartmouth and it's a bus, right? So people are coming on because they also want to go there. It's like there's literally only one way to get to the school because it's literally in the middle of nowhere in the woods. And this guy, it was the full bus, and this guy gets on. He's like, yo, can I sit next to you? And I was like, you know, sure, whatever. And he was dressed pretty nice, right? He had some style about him. You know, he had pretty good style. And so we started talking, and for whatever reason, I got, I had the idea in my head. I don't know what really caused me to do this. But I was acting like I was a Dartmouth student instead instead of being a Georgia Tech student. I was like, I'm going to put on this persona of being a Dartmouth student for whatever reason. I have no idea why. I I honestly can't go back in time and and think through what I was doing. But So I was just acting like I was this Dartmouth student. And I'm talking to this guy, and we're really starting to hit it off. And it turns out he's also from Atlanta like me. So we have like some commonalities in our backgrounds even. And then at one point, I was like, yeah, I'm majoring in computer science. And he was like, oh, why, why didn't you go to Georgia Tech? Right? You know, really good school in-state, you know, free tuition. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have lied. Because we were having this, this genuine connection um, under the pretense of this inauthentic thing that I had presented to him. So the, the, the actual core of what we were experiencing was an authentic connection but I had started the interaction inauthentically, which now it would look like I'm a psychopath if I'm all of a sudden like, yeah, I actually don't go to Dartmouth. And actually, I was lying to you for because I'm insecure about whatever. And so that that lesson really taught me to just be authentic to yourself because you never know who you're going to meet and what kind of connections you're going to make. And if you're inauthentic, then you're just going to spoil whatever that could have been. Yep. I think that's a great anecdote. Uh, Thank you for sharing. And honestly, I think it just comes back to lying to yourself or to others for what, right? What's the end goal? Let's say it's a romantic partner. All of a sudden, what? You're going to have to be in a relationship where you're pretending to be someone you're not or in a friendship where you're pretending to be someone you're not. And uh, that's not a goal to have. Who cares if it's someone you think that you want to be with? I promise you it's not. Um, Friendship or romantic relationship, the person you want to be with is someone who it aligns with you and likes you for your authentic self. So I think it's right. a great, um, great point there. Uh, 
Going into number three, uh, which is the number three thing that we wish we knew in college, is relating to peer pressure and really just kind of avoiding peer pressure. I can start with this one, which uh, it honestly relates to the last one, is there's this sort of like hive mind, right? Uh, that I would say it's not even individual people thinking, oh, like we have to go do this. Like, uh, you know, Ben has to come out and let's say drink with us. Um, for example, it's, it's just sort of like the general atmosphere, right? It's what you think of when you think of college experience. It's what you think of when you, uh, you think of a fraternity in my case. Right. And, uh, basically it's just the assumption. And so you might all of a sudden succumb, all of a sudden succumb (laughs) to, peer pressure, right? And that's in a way not being authentic to yourself because if you feel pressured into doing something, by definition, that's something that maybe you wouldn't have done if you didn't feel that way. And so uh, challenging that and challenging the sort of notion that you have to go out and do these things, I don't know if you have any comments on that. Yeah, I think when you go into college, you have this construct, this idea of what college is, right? You think it's, oh, I'm going to go out every weekend. I'm going to party. You know, I'm going to get all these girls if you're, you know, a straight guy or whatever. And you're just going to be this party animal or whatever the case. And then you're going to study and it's going to be like, that's going to be secondary, right? Because you're just going to be balling out. You're going to be partying all the time or whatever. I think that's a very kind of westernized American framework, especially that's portrayed in all the movies, right? It's like, it's just a super fun atmosphere. And you need to be doing all these things. So there's kind of this implicit pressure going into this environment that you need to engage in these activities. Uh, and I, I would definitely encourage you to engage in them, right? Experience it for yourself, but also recognize the authentic part of you that maybe doesn't connect with this. And if that's the case, well, then you don't need to do it all the time, right? If it's not something that you genuinely enjoy, then... Well, don't do it. Don't feel the pressure to actually do it. Yeah. And I think the reason why I mentioned a hive mind is because there's an assumption that individual people or that, um, you'll be seen as like an outcast if you don't engage in this. Um, but truthfully, nobody cares, right? Nobody cares whether you're totally sober or you don't drink at all, or you only go out occasionally, right? Nobody cares because they are too busy worrying about them, their own lives and stuff like that. There's this general sort of wave of pressure that, uh, is sort of directing these people and their actions. Um, but it's not individual people scrutinizing what you are or are not doing. Yeah. And I think oftentimes that scrutiny is manifested as a form of insecurities, right? It's like a representation. They're projecting their own insecurities onto you. Like, oh, you know, why aren't you drinking right now? Oh, there's no way you're not going to go out tonight, right? Maybe a part of them doesn't want to drink. A part of them doesn't want to go out. So they feel the need to project that onto you and kind of wrap you up into their own thing, which is just like, you know, that's messed up, but it, it happens subconsciously without you realizing. No, that's a really great point. And that's something that I did see a lot at fraternities um, or in my fraternity right. even. I can't even speak to that, but I'm sure there's some crazy stuff that happens there. Yeah. Right? When you talk about hive mind, I mean, that's that's yeah. the definition of hive mind. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I, you know, we, I'll probably talk more about my fraternity experiences on another episode and I'm sure they'll come up, it'll come up over and over. It was overwhelmingly positive. Um, but nevertheless, they, that is probably the strongest example of hide mind, particularly when it comes to things like drinking and, um, you know, engaging in certain activities. Right. Um, and that actually, you know, does kind of go well into the next one, uh, which is, ultimately like reminding yourself why you're there, right? Number four, you went to college for a reason and it wasn't probably, if it was, then maybe you should change it, but it wasn't to go party and to, uh, you know, drink all the time or to even, uh, necessarily like find yourself, although that's a sort of secondary reason, uh, to do that. But, uh, Ben, why ultimately did we both go to college? Yeah, and this kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier about how you have this idea of college, what it is when you're going in, either through media portrayals, right? Like in movies, it's just this party land, right? But in reality, you're going to college, you're paying a lot of money to receive an education, right? And to build an understanding of the material, which is your major. So it's it's not just some party land, you know, social scene, where everybody's just chilling out all day, you know, on the green playing Frisbee. 
that's not the case, right? You need to actually your, do your work, learn the material, because that's going to have a direct impact on your ability to land a job out of school and then build a life for yourself. Yeah, I think that if you look at both Ben and I, most people would consider us um, somewhat successful in what we've done after university. And a large portion of that is to the sacrifices that we made in university. So uh, what I say is that, you know, some sacrifices in the short run in those four years, yes, college does only happen once. However, sacrificing a little bit there in those four years could make a very big improvement in the next 40, right? Because believe it or not, life does go on after college. And so you do want to make sure that you're investing into that future as much as you're investing yourself in the moment. Um, I think that a lot of people do get trapped into the, oh, well, you know, you can't, what's the saying? It's like, uh, you can retake a test, but you can't retake a party or something like that. that oh, was yeah. that, but um, challenging that idea a little bit with the understanding that you need to uh, put an effort because there's a reason why you're going to university and paying all that money. And it's to get that piece of paper and that education in your brain that no one can ever take away from you that will drastically improve not only your earning potential, but your overall career opportunities. Yeah, there's this big FOMO about, you know, there's like a general FOMO of events that are going on, maybe on campus or whatever. Uh, homecoming was like the, it's like a classic example of FOMO, right? Maybe at Georgia Tech, we had concerts, right? So like we brought artists. Who do we have? Uh, Ray Shremard. Yeah, Ray yeah. Shremard. Yeah, we had Ray Shremard, right? The drummer boy guy. Um, I can't remember anybody else off the top Black of my head. Black Beatles. Huh? The Black Beatles in the city. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, honestly, because I didn't go to any of them because I was busy at the time of all of these events. But like there was this immense pressure to engage in them for whatever reason. It's like, oh, bro, like you're never going to see these guys again, right? And it's just like, no, dude, I have a test next week that I actually really need to study for. Or whatever the case, I have an internship interview I have to actually study for. That's way more important than this singular event that is going to just be, a, honestly, just a, some flippant memory in the future, right? It's, it's not really that important. And um, yeah, I mean, my freshman year, I, I went out probably more than any other time in my college experience. And I think that's probably what happens for most people is because they come to this environment. They want to experience what their imagination has told them it's going to be like. So they live through that reality. And then for me, it was like, you know, I don't really enjoy it that much, to be honest. So I'm going to put it aside and just do the things I actually enjoy. And my senior year, actually, most people see senior year as this, this safe haven, right? Oh, you're, you're a senior, right? Oh, you're the big man on campus and you can, you can go to parties. You've, you've got clout or whatever the case is. And <laughs> never mind. I was going to say something, but it's fine. But... For my Facebook interview, um, when I got the when I got contacted by the Facebook recruiter to interview with the company, I saw that as like a life or death opportunity because I was like, "Oh, this is everything I've wanted, and I cannot mess up on this." So I literally locked myself in my apartment essentially for a month. I woke up every day at six a.m., lead coded for three hours, and then I would eat breakfast, lead code for another three hours, go to the gym, come back, eat lunch, lead code for another three hours, go for a walk, come back, lead code for another three hours, eat dinner, and go to bed. And I would do that every single day. And at the time, I had actually only scheduled two classes on my, like, whatever. I only had two classes because I had scheduled it in such a way that I had planned in advance that, okay, I'm going to be preparing for full-time interviews during the fall, so I'm going to take less classes during that time. So I was taking way less classes. So I had less on my plate. So I was able to do that. But I literally did not go out at all for like first semester. And it was only after I got the job offer that I was like, Phew, okay, now I can, you know, kind of take my foot off the gas a little bit and actually enjoy what's going on and experience senior year for what it is, which wasn't until second semester when I started doing that. So it, it was very much like, yeah, you, Sure, you can, there's an event going on, there's a party happening, you know, your senior year, you're never going to get this back. But I'm like, no, I will never get back the opportunity to execute on this interview and get this job, 
which is way more important than one party will ever be. We got another great anecdote, and uh, I, I don't want to, you know, dog on anyone, so to speak. But um, no, I do know people who partied it up in college way harder than even I did, um, maybe didn't take the after college thing too seriously and graduated either with no job for an extended period of time or arguably worse, a quote unquote dead end job or a job where they're not making that much money. It's not that glamorous. They're not even enjoying it. And it's like now to try and make that up, to try and get from there to something they actually really like doing and making a lot of money is very difficult, right? And so this is the the point in your life, the college experience where you can change that trajectory so drastically, right? Uh, and so I think that reminding yourself that that's ultimately what college is really about is making sure that when you leave, when you exit, you're at a very high starting point uh, because trying to move after, move the needle after the fact is very difficult. Yeah. Your, your college years are by far, it's like your last chance to be insulated from the real world. Right. We talked about that in a, in a previous episode, but it's like, no, that's really the last time you'll ever have uh, be insulated from the consequences of, of life. So use that to your advantage and, and try to just build as much as you can. So when you actually get to the real world that you already have some infrastructure built and you're not starting from ground zero or maybe some ground negative one. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's my that's my how I think about it. Cool. Uh, yeah. So the, the next thing we want to talk about, which is the number five thing that we wish we knew in college is that ultimately intrinsic motivation is more important than extrinsic motivation. And the reason we bring this up is because in college, you have something very easy to measure your success off of. And even up until this point, you've had these, which are grades, right? It's a number in a class that says, hey, you're doing well, you're not doing well, et cetera. Well, guess what? Once you get into the real world and once you get a job, there's no such thing as grades. You might be graded on performance in your job or like promotion. You can look at titles, but it's a lot more loose. And ultimately, you have to start working more for yourself. If you want to get a promotion, you better, you know, have that motivation from deep within rather than being able to look at something on a piece of paper that says, hey, I'm doing well. Um, and uh, that's just the nature of moving away from a external marker. Again, this is why I'm calling it extrinsic motivation. Uh, and that's something that I wish I knew during college because I was someone who really did focus on my grades and I really did get very good grades. But that means once I got into the real world and I don't have anything to measure myself off of, I had a stint, a brief one of sort of an existential moment of, oh, am I doing well? How do I know if I'm doing well? Well, how do I get better? And of course, there are answers to all those things, but they come from here, not anything on a piece of paper. And so uh, I think that trying to put that frame of reference in your head, even while in college and finding sort of the enjoyment or even the fulfillment, it may not even be enjoyment, but finding the fulfillment from the effort you're putting in, from the work you're actually doing, rather than the result is very important. Yeah, I actually really like what you just said on the last point there, which is finding reward in the effort. And this is actually how I overcame my procrastination because I was like a massive procrastinator. And the way I kind of cured it was reframed my mindset in a way. Like I thought about, you know, when you sit down to study and you're like, this is going to be so difficult, right? Like, I don't want to do this. Like, it's going to be effort. I really had to reformulate it in my brain to say, no, that effort is actually, that's good, right? When you feel that feeling, like you know, look at your phone right now or you go do something else, that's the feeling when you know you should keep pushing, right? Get fulfillment from powering through that and overcoming it. Just a quick note, I just thought about that. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that uh, the I we both, I think, kind of listen to Alex Hormozzi, but one thing that I really like what he says is uh, he, the notion of this is what hard feels like. Um, and it's in reference to a different story actually relating to his fraternity days. But uh, I really like that comment because if you can become comfortable and almost, again, find pleasure in like the, this is what hard feels like, like it's okay that this kind of sucks right now, but that's what actually makes it worth it. I think that it becomes a lot easier to, uh, you know, whether you want to call it motivation or discipline is two different things. I have my own opinions on it's not actually, your success is not determined by staying motivated all the time. It's actually by staying disciplined, even when motivation is low. Um, but 
again, when you have grades to sort of point to, you can kind of min-max for the grade, right? And you can try and say, oh, well, I don't even care if I learn the material. Let me just cheat and get 100, right? Because that's what matters. <laughs> right. And uh, some people do think that way. And um, when you have this other notion of the effort that's actually being put into the grade you get, even if that grade is high or low, what they can't take away from you is the stuff you learned. And even if you forget that, then it's learning how to learn or uh, learning how to stay disciplined in learning that thing, right? There are so many things that you gain from putting in effort into this thing. And ultimately, in the case of education, understanding the material is actually what matters, right? Because when an employer is hiring somebody, they look at the grade as sort of a proxy to say, this person you know, understood the material really well because they got a good grade at a rigorous institution, right? But they don't care about the number itself. They care about that what that number represents, which is all that knowledge and experience behind that. Yeah. You, you made some great points there. And really, the way I think about this, it, it's kind of interesting, right? Because it, it's actually like, let's just think about it in some like idealistic scenario, right? So a lot of people who are in our audience are computer science majors, right? So you have coding assignments. Maybe let's take something that's already kind of established, well-established, like some data structures and algorithms class, right? Your assignment might be to implement the data structure or implement an algorithm, right? And all of this information is available on the internet, right? It's very easy to just Google this, oh, you know, what's, what's Kruskal's algorithm, right? What, what is it? And then just copy paste it. But you, you, and then you get a hundred maybe, but you learned absolutely nothing from doing that. Or you can do the hard thing, which is sit down, read through the theory and then piece together in your brain. Okay. How can I do this? And then the process of that, you're going to learn infinitely more than just taking the easy way out and cutting the corner. I mean, I, I was, I made this mistake all the time, right? For many years, I was the min maxer, right? And I would just do the, the, the easy thing to kind of just get the grade and move on. But looking back, that was actually the mistake because I had built up virtually no fundamental understanding of the material. And I had to do a lot more catch up work as a result of that. Yeah. And uh, to tie that back into why this is so important to understand in college for particularly after college is without that grade, the only way you actually make progress, right, whether that is a promotion or even just becoming better at your job is through the, in this case, this analogy, learning of the actual algorithm itself and implementing it yourself because there is no grade to point to. And so the only way to move forward is to have that motivation or, you know, discipline to actually do the thing that is difficult because you can't cheat, if that makes sense. There is no cheating um, when it comes to like, I mean, they're that's hmm. arguable in terms of getting a promotion, but you understand what I mean. To really progress in your career, it's results. And it's the only way to get those results. It's not a grade. It's not something you can cheat on. It's putting in the effort and putting in the discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that I mentioned a little bit about, uh, I just said like cheating and promotions, which kind of leads into number six a little bit. Um, but it's a very tough pill to swallow, especially when you think about it in college, which is number six, life's not fair. I'm sorry. It's not. And you need to understand that because thinking that something is a pure meritocracy is, uh, just going to set yourself up for jealousy, disappointment, um, self-loathing, etc. because there are times when you maybe deserve something more than someone else and you don't get it or someone didn't deserve something at all and they get it through nepotism or uh, through some other nefarious means, right? And you have to understand that that's a way of life and trying to combat that is a David versus Goliath situation. You're not going to win, right? Your Life is not fair. And so coming to terms with that in college, I think will set yourself up well for, um, it, it, there are even examples in college when you can point to like, uh, you know, someone not getting what they deserve or something like that. Um, but it's a very profound life realization that, uh, it will help you in life. And I know that it sounds kind of like bleak or it sounds negative, but I promise that it's 
positive. And uh, given to what we just said, uh, talking about you know the promotions and stuff like that, uh, you can look at that and be like, well, that's not fair, and uh, now I'm going to be angry about it. Or you could say, I understand life's not fair. That's a fact of life. The only thing I can control is my effort, what I put in, and sort of my reaction to this sort of stimuli that I'm presented with. And um, you can call that stoicism in, in some way uh, or a stoic tenant. But um, I think that it is a way to navigate life that is a lot more healthy than thinking that things should be a way just because that would be fair. Yeah, I have a couple points that I want to touch on here, which is the first one is a lot of times you'll be put in circumstances where things you just simply don't have control over. Let's take the, the, the schoolwork example. Maybe you have a group project where one guy says he's going to do something the night before bro hasn't done it. And you're just like, dude. And then you have to stay up all night scrapping away to kind of build this thing and then you might get a little great on it. That happened to me once. That happened to me once. I got burned. I remember I was, uh, <laughs> this is really funny. You know, I was thinking like I was going into this project. And it was basically like you can either do this project and if you are happy with your grade in the class, then you don't have to take the final, right? And so I was going to this project thinking, you know, I need, I need a, I think it was like a 70 on the project. I was like, yeah, we need a 70. There's no way that this can go like wrong, right? There's no, absolutely no way that I'll get below a 70 on this project. It was a group project. Lo and behold, like two days before this thing is due, some bro on my team was like, yeah, dude, I haven't done what I was supposed to do. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. Um, and so we ended up, I think we ended up getting like a 65 on this project. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And I ended up getting a B in the class. Right. And that was out of my control. Right. That was not fair. But at the time it was just like, yeah, you have to just deal with it. Right. Life isn't fair, but it's okay. Cause the grade isn't the end in itself. Right. The grade is just a proxy, but can't, don't get bad grades all the time. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great example because in the real world that happens all the time too. And um, another example related to that happens in college that also happens in the real world is let's say you do all that work and you do get the A and now the guy who did virtually no work gets the same grade you did. Sure. That's, that's not fair, right? But that's how life works and people take credit for other people's work all the time in the real world. It's not fair. And instead of trying to make the world a just system, I think it's better to control your own reaction to the unjust system because like I said, you're not going to make it fair. It's virtually impossible. Um, yeah. And then- I, I have ahead. something to add on to that, which is, I think this is something that Hermosi says, which is focus on the inputs and then the outcome, like the outputs will follow. Uh, and something that I like to say is success is a lagging indicator. All you can really control is the actions you are taking on a daily basis. You don't really have that much control over the outcome, right? In, in many cases, but all you can do, you, all you can focus on is doing the right things because you know exactly what the right thing is at any given moment in time. So just do that. And then more often than not, the, the, the favorable outcome will, will happen but it may not happen on the timeline that you envision. Yeah, I, I have made a whole video dedicated to this, um, which is essentially, yeah, just because you haven't seen success doesn't mean you're not doing the right things. It just might mean that you haven't done the right things for long enough. Right. Um, and I, th I truly believe that, I, you know, that you can tie this to a bunch of different type of self-help people. Um, James Clear is the one that comes to mind, which is that we don't rise to the level of our ambitions, we fall to the level of our systems. If your system is solid and you're doing the right thing, you will eventually find success. I have yet to see an example where that isn't true, provided a long enough time horizon. Yeah. I mean, this is a classical concrete example of that is, I don't know, there are some YouTubers who post, right? Some YouTubers post for years and years, have not that many subscribers, and then one day the algorithm picks up on them, and then boom, they have like a million overnight. But it's not actually overnight. It's all of those years of effort and then it finally realizes itself that's a great point um yeah so we are gonna have to pivot a little bit for this last one uh but it this is the number seven thing we wish we knew in college which we both actually ended up 
executing on. And um, it talks about life after college, and it's more of a prescription. And we say that if given the opportunity and seek out this opportunity, you should move. And when we say move, ideally to another big, or I say another, to a big city. Um, so why do we say this, Ben? Yeah, I, I, I want to first start off by saying a lot of people object to this. And they say moving to a big city is expensive. Sure it is. But what you're paying for, in a sense, is to learn things about yourself and to be in this environment which is extremely conducive to building a future for yourself and just understanding the world, right? Because if you can stay, maybe you're from Wichita, Kansas. I, I like to use Wichita a lot. I'm sorry if you're actually from Wichita, Kansas, and I'm just beating up on your town. But Wichita, Kansas, not exactly the most lively of places on the, on the planet. By somebody moving from Wichita, Kansas to like New York City, for example, they're going to learn so many things about themselves, about the world, about just life by being in this extremely vibrant environment where so much is going on. And you can't really put a price tag on that, right? Because sure, you can live your whole life in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. But at the end of the day, you're going to look back on that and be like, it all went by like that because you never really had any experiences. So you're really just putting yourself in a position to have experiences. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. I think, you know, you used the example of Wichita, Kansas, but I can apply it to my own life, which is I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is uh, a city, but not a big one by any means, not known for any kind of, uh, you know, industry or whatever. That's not exactly true, but not the industries I wanted to go into. And um, it's known for Breaking Bad. It is known for Breaking <laughs> Bad. I get that comment all the time. My point being, um, I was successful in high school. I thought I knew a lot about myself. And then I ended up going to college in Atlanta, which is a big city. And Bigger I, city. Exactly. So that's where I'm going. I, I learned a lot more. And then guess what? After college, I moved to San Francisco and it's completely reframed again, sort of the scope of the world we're talking about, the cultures, the talents of people, you know, and all of this stuff can really only happen in big cities. And, um, Furthermore, it just gives you another chance to be uncomfortable. I'm someone who I'll admit, like, I like what I would call like homeostasis, right? Which is the the point at which your body feels like happy, everything's in balance. And um, what happens is once I get there, I don't like to move and or change or grow. And the easiest way to force yourself to do that is to change your environment and there's no bigger change of your environment than moving cities. Obviously, moving countries would be an even bigger one, uh, but moving cities is a great start. And so I, you have to confront those uncomfortable aspects of life uh, almost de facto, and that will ultimately provide an easy stimulus for growth. Um, I have many friends who stayed in college after, you know, or stayed in Atlanta after college, excuse me, and didn't grow as much. You know, I've, I've grown more in six months than some people do in years after moving or after college because they didn't move. And I don't blame them. That's the thing. Like it's not their fault because again, if the environment doesn't change, it's incredibly hard to change yourself. Uh, so why not make it easier on yourself and move? Another point I, I like to talk about is it kind of relates back to the volume approach, right? You're probably doing the right things, but you haven't done them for long enough, a.k.a. you haven't done them enough, right? You, you just need the law of large numbers. Do it for 10,000 hours, right? Malcolm Gladwell, or whatever his name is. In a big city, you have such a large amount of humans in your area that it's really this conducive environment. I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Brownian motion, right? Just like the chaotic movement of particles in space. You kind of have this Brownian emotion effect in a big city where you have such a large amount of humans doing all of the stuff that they're doing that it creates this, this, this natural chaos, which is a good environment for, again, as I said, learning about life, right? There's no way to learn about life if you're just in a calm environment at homeostasis. You have to be pushing a little bit. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, we recommend moving if you can. Uh, part of moving, usually, if you unless you're moving back, um, is you're going to have to leave people who you care about. Um, and with friends, that may or may not be a good thing. Um, the harder one for a lot of people, you might have already done this when you went to college, but usually once you go into the um, workforce, it's a bit more permanent, which is that you have to leave your parents, right? And um, you are now a permanent sort of distance away from them in the sense that if you want to go see them or if they're going to see you, usually one of you is going to have to take time off of work. Um, you're going to have to make arrangements. Whereas in college, there's always like there's built in breaks and stuff like that. It's a little bit less structured like that for times to see each other. Um, so that's something that I know you recently uh, had to deal with, Ben. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I recently took almost two weeks off of work to go back home to Atlanta just to spend some quality time with my parents without the distraction of having things to do. Uh, because I realized it had been eight months since I saw them last. Last time I saw them was in Thanksgiving. And I was like, wow, like I need to take some time off of work now just to go spend some quality time with them. Because you just need to make the space for that, as you said. It's like you just need to say, all right, I'm making the space for this because you only have a limited amount of time with them. And I'm very grateful that I, I grew up in Atlanta. I went to Georgia Tech, which is in Atlanta. So I had the opportunity to actually have easy access to my parents and spend time with them while I was in school. And I'm really, really grateful for that. But now that I live in San Francisco, it's like I'm literally on the opposite coast, right? So to get to them is a five-hour flight. It's not easy, right? Financially or time-wise because you have to take time off work and then you have to pay you know a thousand bucks round trip yeah i think that can really just kind of be summed up to a don't take your parents for granted um you do have limited time with them um so make the effort even should you decide to move after college to uh make sure that you still can spend time with them and while you're in college if you're near them or you go back to visit them uh don't take that time for granted either uh really enjoy it and spend time with your with your parents because um you know neither that relationship won't last forever. Uh, that's just a fact of life. I know it's a little bit of a grim way to sort of end the episode. Um, well, I have go some, ahead. I have one thing to add to that, which is I remember a couple of years ago, I saw this video of it, it like kind of mapped the time spent with parents through the course of your life. And when you're a child, it's like, you know, there's like, it's like 24 hours a day, essentially spent with your parents. And then you just see this drop off, slow drop off, slow drop off. And then college after college, it's like a hard drop off. And then another hard drop off like when they're gone. But you just slowly spend less and less time with your parents over your life. And it's just kind of sad. So, yeah, when you're with them, really just take advantage of that and, and recognize it as this, this cherished moment because that's what it should be. Yep, absolutely. Completely agree with all of that. Um, yeah, with that being said, this uh, really was... Again, the the seven things that we wish we knew in college. This is coming from people who uh, recently graduated college. Uh, if again, if you want to see how to succeed in college, if you're about to start and you're more like, oh, I need you know to get a high GPA or get the most out of the college experience, we talk a lot about that in episode two. So go watch that. If you've made it this far, first of all, thank you so much. Um, leave a comment down below saying um, where you're going to college. Uh, to let us know that that's, you know, that you watched it this far and you're a real one. And, um, if you're on uh, YouTube, make sure to subscribe, like, leave that comment. It really helps us out as we're trying to grow. If you're on Apple podcasts or Spotify or Google podcasts, make sure to leave a five-star rating. Um, Ben, do you have any final words? No, thank you guys for watching.